I, I, I listened to it and I thought, for sure, what have what have I got myself into this week? Like, this is gonna suck. Like, welcome to the suck, Tyler. Like, this is. <laughs> Welcome back to Asinine Radio, a weekly podcast where we talk about music and, well, that's pretty much it. So, uh, let's go! This is Asinine Radio. This is the weekly music podcast where every week we get into a different artist and a different album and we break it down. We find out all the secrets about the record and then we let you all know. Um, and then, yeah, so we do that. Go to Apple Podcasts, go rate, review, and subscribe to us on there. Follow us on social media at Asinine Radio. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts because that means the most. If you want to leave us a voicemail or send us a text, you can do that by uh, our phone number. It's 503-893-5307. We have a Discord server, too. If you want to hang out with us on Discord and other people who listen to the pod, let us know. We'll send you the link because Discord's weird. Um, so my name is Tyler, and way out there, hundreds of miles away, way out there in the ether is Jeff. Mm. Now, Jeff, intros are done. The boring intros are done. Uh, what are we doing today? Uh, we are doing the Velvet Underground's The Velvet Underground. Velvet Underground originally formed in 1964 in New York as the Warlocks, but by 1965, they had changed their name to the Velvet Underground. The original lineup included Lou Reed on vocals guitar, John Cale on viola and bass, Sterling Morrison on guitar, and Angus McLeese on drums. They put out five full-length records, six live albums, 14 comps, and they remain one of the more influential bands to come out of the 1960s. Uh, the album we're doing today is 
self-titled record, The Velvet Underground. It's the band's third record. It was released March 1969. The album features Lou Reed on vocals, guitar, Doug Yule on bass and organ, Sterling Morrison on guitar, and Maureen Moe Tucker on drums. And it was also a big stylistic departure from their first two releases. Now, Jeff, what is your, uh, what's your origin story with the Velvet Underground? What do you got? Go. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I've, I've heard songs here and there. I don't recall any of them. I've never cared about the Velvet Underground just because like getting into Nirvana now yeah. is difficult because the Nirvana Corporation is such a fucking joke. It's so overpowering. It's so obnoxious. And that's how I've always felt about the Velvet Underground. Like the Velvet Underground's corporation is so annoying, so obnoxious. Like Lou Reed with his 45 albums that he released or whatever. <laughs> it's like 25 or something like that. But like Lou Reed with how many albums he's released. And, and I don't know. It's just, it's been overwhelming. And I've never got into them because I don't like art. I don't like tangible forms of art. Like music is about as far as I go. And so yeah. the Velvet Underground, I've always associated them hand in hand with Andy Warhol. And I don't like Andy Warhol because I don't understand him. I think he's a weirdo. I still do. But <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I've never got around to listening to him. Yeah. And I only, I only, so like my origin story is literally since we started collecting, I bought a Grateful Dead lot from a guy who had a bunch of Grateful Dead tattoos and he gave me, there was like some Miles Davis in there, but like the Miles Davis era, like the Bitches Brew era. Mm-hmm. And so there was also a bunch of Velvet Underground. And I asked him, I was like, you like this band? He's like, dude, they're good. And I was like, really? He says, yeah, they're good. So I, I trusted his opinion because he had a lot of Grateful Dead stuff. And I had my newfound love for the Grateful Dead. I said, okay, I will listen to it. I looked it up on Discogs and like I have an OG 69 copy of this album and it goes for even my condition. It still goes for over a hundred dollars. That's so, that's so dumb. I know. I know. <laughs> and so like my, 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 my copy's in decent condition. It skips a couple of time, or loops in a couple of places, but I threw it on man. And I was, I was fucking blown away. I was truly blown away. I have not been blown away like this by a newer old band <laughs> i i guess since the grateful dead to be honest but like yeah. before them i i can't even remember the last time like yes i don't know you were you were blown away by yes by elp no, but, but but i've no like so i've i've heard yes before i've listened to yes all the way back to my virgin days that's that's when i first heard yes was when i worked at virgin elp i, I think they're great i think they're they're technically fantastic but i wasn't blown away by them not like it was by the Velvet Underground, and that's right. that also stems from a lot of the how how little I held them, like I held them so low. I thought they were an Andy Warhol side project, but they weren't. They're not, and so that's that's my origin story with them. I just never gave them a chance, and I'm glad that I, I waited so long because now I can really, really appreciate them on a platform that I just got into that I can really appreciate. So it was it was a good time. It was a good time. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy something. That's what I'm happy about. <laughs> Fucking god! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, my my origin story is uh, probably two weeks ago, when or three weeks ago, whenever you brought murder mystery Ma- or the murder mystery to the pod uh, as your your song of the week. Maybe that was like a month ago. Then I don't know. 
but uh, that was my my honestly my introduction to the band. I never listened to them. A lot of the same reasons as you because I just I I think Andy Warhol is one of the most overrated artists of all time. I think I just I, just, I don't I don't care at all about Andy Warhol. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so that that was my associ- I associated this band directly with Andy Warhol, which you know they were at the beginning, but they obviously grew quite a bit after that record. Um, and so I was very, I was very worried about this week and I, I listened to that first record and the second record consecutively. And I thought, what have I got myself into? I hate this. I don't like, or I don't, I didn't hate it. I just, I didn't like it. And I was irritated. And then I, I didn't want to listen to the rest of the records. So I put it off like all week and but I went back and listened to the first record twice, uh, two more times, so three times altogether. And then two days ago, I think, or maybe yesterday, I, I asked you, I just making sure, like, are we are we doing the first record right? And you said, no, we're doing the third record. I'm like, oh fuck! Like I'm so behind. I listened to the first record three times for no reason, so I was yeah. mad at myself. And uh, and then and then I was like, fuck! Now I got to hurry up and listen to these three records, these three remaining records, and that the self titled again. And then once I put on the third record, I was like, I was blown away. It was so good. Like I was so pleasantly surprised. I could not believe that they were the same band. It was so, I was so stoked and it made the the rest of the listen through much easier. And it made this week's episode much easier for me doing this record because that's good. Yeah. This record is solid. This record is really good. I think it's, it's a fantastic record and, I don't care what anyone says. Their first record is not that good. And I think everybody's been duped. So um, there you go. So that, that's my origin story with the Velvet Underground. Uh, what, are your, what are your first impressions then on this record? I mean, we already kind of talked about it. I guess we don't have to do our first impressions. Um, do we have any stinkers on this record? No, I have, I have no stinkers on this at all. Okay. I don't have any either. Uh, so then let's go with your, your BB. What do you got for your biggest banger? Uh yeah, my BB is. You ready? What do you think uh-huh. it is? Uh, let's. Candy says. Didn't you already say that? No, that's. Just, I thought we should start with. Oh that. no 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 no! It's it's murder mystery. Yeah, the murder yeah, mystery. Because this yeah, is, you, uh, that's why you brought it to the pod. I I um, I've always liked like poetry stuffs, and yeah. what little books I have read, I would say a, a, at least half of them have been like poetry related like Shakespearean stuff and maybe that stems from just overindulging in the drama thing I don't know (laughs) lame but like this song this is the song that like got me to love this band and upon first hearing this album I was like wow this is really fucking good because I do like folk music and I do like a lot of downplayed acoustic type stuff and like the murder mystery hits and it's fucking (laughs) bizarre it's it's I mean, I'm not like, I'm not like, holy fuck, this is the craziest I've ever heard in my life. But for like 1960, 1969, like, mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing, dude? This, like, the organ sound is straight from like Dracula's castle. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. The co lead vocals are doing two different parts at the same time. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And yeah. then when I started reading more about it and how, like, their usage of stereo, like you, were, you mentioned the other part, was so, was so unique. I put headphones on and I had not listened to this with headphones on until this week. And I put headphones on and I was blown away again. Just 
I was blown away just as much as I was by the first listen that I did. It was so fucking weird. It was so weird. I legit thought this was one of the weirdest things I've ever heard in my life. And I don't understand like how, how they thought this was a good idea. And like reading a little <laughs> bit more about it. Yeah. I really believe that they were just goofing around with channels. Like they wanted just to make a song that separated the left and the right speakers to make a true stereo song. And then they just read a bunch of poetry that they liked line for line and it just ended up being just so bizarre. And I mean, talk about like coming out with an album at the height of the psychedelic era, 1969. I mean, we're talking like Woodstock era of music mm-hmm. and these guys come out with this song and it's the, it's the weirdest thing that anyone's put out. And as far as like psychedelic music goes, hands down. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really bizarre song for sure. This is my fucking weird. This is my five B. This one, um, wait, yeah, this is my yeah, this is my five B. I was, uh, it just it comes out of nowhere because, like you said, there there's nothing prior to this song that that sounds like this. Like you're you're just follow, going along with like the folk rock with the pop pop rock, and then this is just it's fucking trippy, super trippy, and then it's eight minutes long, and just it's the stereo man. It's the stereo mix on this record that that just absolutely gets me. I think they, they just utilized it. They utilized it so well. And the first time I listened to this was with headphones on. And that's when I really just was, I was kind of blown away by it because it's, it was such a simple thing that they're doing, but they did it so well. And I mean, it was, it was cool because I usually listen to the album of the week. I usually listen to it once, at least once on a head on the headphones at least once in the car and then at least once on my speakers at home. So that's, that's just how I do it. And, and each experience was really cool, but the best experience was with the headphones. So my recommendation to anybody out there who have never really listened to the velvet underground or have listened to them, but never really done it with headphones. It's a totally different experience, especially this record. I can't really say for the first two. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't really say for the first two, but this record just kind of, it's so cool. It's so good. Just sonically, I, it's so it's so rad, and this dude, song I is totally like, is great. Totally agree. I I I do something similar. I do like headphones either at the gym, and then I put it on my speakers in in the office where I listen to my vinyls. Mm-hmm. And like what I normally do is put it like Saturday nights is the day I like clean, and then because nobody's home, and I put my downstairs speaker at my house loud as fuck. <laughs> this was the first time, and I I can't even remember one that I did not do that because I don't. I, I didn't want to I didn't want to listen to it that way because this is a more intimate record and I didn't want to blast it because it would lose its intimacy the louder it gets. It would like lose room, the the nuance of it all. There's there's it's I mean, a lot this, more this, complicated than you you think on first listen. The speakers are good, but I think like some of the charm here is is I don't know, like you and the band just together. Like I have this on vinyls and I I love it. I love it. I also recommend to listening to like the original release, not the, the closet release. Yeah, I listened that to was both. done. I did listen to both. I and didn't like the closet. There's not a whole lot of differences, but there is one song that is vastly different. I think Lou Reed is fucking destroyed like the meaning of the song. But that will be a later one. But as far as like the channels are concerned, the murder mystery, I've I, I've still yet to hear any band and leave out like a lot of music on here 
but I've yet to do I've I've yet to hear any band that have really taken advantage of the quirkiness and the weirdness that stereo can offer like this song. It's so it's so unique. It is. And it's yeah. not just you have two members of the band doing like the same part on each channel. They're doing completely different things. And in the first the first like six and a half minutes of the song, it's bizarre. It's 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 off tempo with each other and they're just talking and it's hard to pick up on one without the other and you have to like literally take one of the headphones off to even understand what the other one is saying yeah i know and like the back and forth that's like the doug and mo in the chorus like it's so it's so perfect it's the perfect amount of relief from the verses because it's sort of like a deliberate attempt at blending beauty with chaos the verses and the chorus stand on their own and each have their own kind of chaotic beauty to them but the but the chorus is because Mo is singing in there, she has that higher pitched voice, and it's 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 a good blend from just a straightforward like chaotic verses that is happening. But then it changes entirely at the mm-hmm. six thirty mark. The song fools you. you the, the, <laughs> that that hard piano comes in. You're like, okay, finally they're gonna get into a traditional song, and it gets even weirder. It gets yeah, it gets even like louder, and I don't want to say obnoxious, but just louder. It's, more chaotic. They try and use six syllables per line. They like they say like everything is, is about six syllables. Yeah, but it's just it's fucking weird. And again, they're just saying they're saying two completely different things. But it's almost like scatting at that point because you don't understand what they're saying because well because of the channels because of the overabundance of just words and vocalizations you don't know what they're saying. So they could they might as well just be scatting because it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the ending of the entire song is just a pounding on the piano. And that's how the <laughs> whole thing ends. And I, I read too that Lou Reed said that uh they this didn't turn out the way that they wanted it to at all. This is just like the best that they could salvage out of it. Like they wanted it to be actually clearer than than it actually was, but they couldn't quite get the timing or get something right to where it actually sounded good. So they weren't even that satisfied with the the outcome of this song, which is pretty wild to me. It's like at, at that point, like why would you release it? I mean, I like it, but because of pressure, because of the band that has not succeeded to this point, this band was still a bunch of nobodies. They were, they were not making a ton of money. Mm-hmm. This is, this is label pressure. They went from Verve to MGM, which is kind of the same thing anyway. But like when, when Verve kind of ceased to exist and MGM was like, okay, let's just take all the bands that were on Verve. And if we didn't like, where they were going if they weren't making money let's just drop them and so like the velvet underground kind of got dropped they got they were one of like underground got dropped from the label like what they were they were one of they were one of 18 bands i think it was or artists that were dropped from verve or mgm i guess you could say because yeah they weren't making money and uh but is that crazy to think about like yeah going years later retroactively yeah like you drop the Velvet Underground. This is one of the most. I mean, love them or hate them. This is one of the most influential rock bands of all time, and here they are getting dropped from the label because nobody understands what they're doing yeah. at the time. It is pretty wild, really pretty wild if you think about it. But even to this day, they haven't sold like a crazy amount of copies. You know, it's it's not like Hendrix, who who was kind of popular at the time, but didn't sell, you know, all the records until after he died. So it's like, I, dude, that's that's something I also don't understand. It's like this record too barely sold. It didn't sell like at all. Yeah, like nobody bought this record, and and I don't know, man. Just 
I really, I really am biased because I, I, I am just so enamored by this band. I just infatuated with everything that they've done. And so I, this comes from a place of subjectivity, but this band has done so much for non mainstream music, probably more than any band ever. And the fact that they have not, but the fact that they're so popular, like on paper, but don't have the numbers to prove it is just so bizarre to me. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's like on paper, dude, like it's glowing recommendations from every news source possible, their first three albums. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect, perfect. True. But and numbers wise, it just it doesn't show. And then but then it's also weird too because you get so many bands that cite them as a as an influence, but even you get even when you get these bands, it's like why why haven't they sold? I just don't understand why they haven't sold more. And that first record, the cover of that first record is iconic because it is an Andy Warhol picture. So I don't know. I don't understand why they the record sales are as low as they are. It's weird. I mean, we, we've listened to a lot of music prior to even this podcast, and we've played music. We've been to a thousand shows, but we've never picked up on the Velvet Underground, and that's, that's marketing. Yes, we both have seen that banana peel countless times, oh, yeah. but I've, I've always assumed that this was an Andy Warhol thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, like up until fairly recently, maybe like half a decade ago, I thought Andy Warhol was a part of the Velvet Underground as a musician. <laughs> and so that banana peel, that I've always associated that with just Andy Warhol, not as a band separate who worked with Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt oh. the same way. I felt the exact same way. I just didn't, I didn't know in, in my just dislike for for his art, I just... Never cared. Never cared to. People can stare at a painting for, like anybody that can stare at a fucking painting for longer than twenty seconds has my respect. I don't. It's a fucking picture. (laughs) It's a picture. It's it's a picture of something I wasn't even there for. Like, why am I looking at it? But but Andy Warhol was his stuff was a picture of a picture. So, (laughs) oh my god, dude, I do I can't. And I understand what he was going for. I at least I think what he was going for, like making or you know criticizing consumerism and and just the the oh, yeah. all that kind of bottom stuff bottom here at this point and i just i didn't i didn't Bullshit. like i just didn't think it was interesting i felt like it was just like okay so so what like you're making you're literally taking the 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 ideas of other people and just changing the colors on it and then showing i don't it's just it was i just i don't like andy warhol i i've i've read a little bit i've read a little bit about him i apparently he like he was a really nice guy like privately but his art i just i don't i don't fucking care i think it just it's so stupid so dumb and and i like a lot of dumb shit obviously Everything you like is dumb. I mean, it's, let's, be, let's be real. Let's be real. Come on. Well, so so then that really says something that you know Andy Warhol is really dumb. Really has some really dumb shit. I think I, I don't. I like think it. like what what makes what makes Andy Warhol kind of like popular and, and and iconic was. I mean, he was doing things that other people just weren't doing at the time. He was making movies. I fucking hate talking about Andy Warhol. But there yeah, is, but have there you seen is, his movies? There's shit. There is merit to them. There is merit to them. I watched There's I no. watched some YouTube videos this week, and I mean, they're dumb as whatever fuck. that's worth. I know, but I watched but, two of them a long time ago with somebody I used to know, and she was really into art, and she didn't like Andy Warhol, but we we started to get, or she showed me a couple of his movies, and she knew a lot about him, even though she didn't like him. But 
Yeah, and we watched him. I just I didn't fucking get it. I just but like Elvis's so movies stupid. were all shit, and he was an awful actor. Yeah, but at least but that they were fun movies that he made. Yeah, but at least the Elvis they were movies terrible. They His were, movies are awful. Well, no, they were they were terrible, but they were so bad. They, they're like they were B movies. In like, hindsight, I guess they were like B movies. But, but then, like he was a legit. He thought he was a legit actor. Okay, true, but also. Elvis, we we both agree that Elvis is wildly overrated too. So, and stole a lot musically. So, there's that. It's but, everything. Yeah, Andy Warhol. Yeah, it's just his the two movies. I don't even remember what movies they were, but I watched two of them. and They were fucking dumb. Just fucking so full of himself. But whatever. whatever. I think he was just a guy that like like he liked a certain like niche, and and I don't know. It just so happened that he was so weird enough, and like he looked like a weirdo too. Like he was just a weird looking dude, <laughs> and I think it just fell into play. And and New York needed something like that. This was before the Frisco scene blew up, and L.A. got big, and he just he fell into it. I guess I don't know. He was just he was just weird enough to be yeah, but he wasn't interesting, like, but he wasn't too weird to be off putting. But he wasn't like an original because like that bo- whole that whole Bohemian lifestyle thing that that predates fucking Warhol by decades. So it's not like it's a Yeah, but it's he like was, it's a new new lifestyle or a new thing, you know. He incorporated like art with a lot of like 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 exploratory sexuality with drugs, with music. It was just like yeah, everything. Yeah. Everybody was welcome to like the factory. And I for that I give him credit for just blending a lot of different art styles, not just music. And paintings and stuff, but I'm sure there's other art styles that are even dumber than those two things. But it also so. it invites a lot of just idiots, like like we were talking about on the the rankings episode, uh, the original drummer Angus McLeese. Like it, it invites people like that into the scene, and it just kind of it it spoils it. You know, it's these jerk offs that you just think everyone's a sellout, and it's like, dude, fuck off. <laughs> like, Which it's is so, so funny too because I hate that shit. Yeah, because he left the band because they sold out for like a five hundred dollar gig, after not, not making any yeah. money. <laughs> like they made no money, and yeah. all of a sudden, like, they, like the equivalent now of like would be five hundred bucks. Like imagine like being in a band and you're 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 living out your car for months at a time, and then all of a sudden someone says, "Hey, I'll pay you five hundred bucks to play tonight." You say, oh, thank God, I can finally eat like a a good meal tonight, and then your drummer leaves. So out. Like, you fucking, are you high, bro? Like, what are you yeah. talking about? I, uh, people, oh, it's so obnoxious. Need to eat. <laughs> Come on, dude. But John kills an idiot, too. He's, he's a fucking wiener, too. <laughs> but, and, and we, we talked about it, too, a little bit on the rankings, but the way that, that Lou Reed handled the whole firing of, of Mikhail, you know, he, he went to, he went to Mo and, and Morrison about it. And said, you know, either Mikhail's out or I'm the Velvet Underground's done. Like we're not, I'm breaking up the band. And they felt so pressured because they wanted to continue with the band. They agreed, let's get rid of John. And then Lou Reed makes Morrison go and tell John Cale that he's out of the band. Yeah, like so that awkward. is that is a bitch move. It is. It that is. is such a bitch move. Like I couldn't believe it when I read that. <laughs> but so, like to be fair, so to be fair too, like. See, Lou Reed had a long-standing relationship with heroin and alcohol, so even though that is True. a complete little bitch move and terrible, terrible, I don't know. I mean, he's not here to defend himself, so I would like to think that he probably at some point in his life 
Because he did play with 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 Kale later on in his life. Yeah, like, and, and then they, they reunited numerous shows. Yeah, and they reunited like, in the nineties. So yeah, even offshoots of just not Velvet Underground. Like they played other stuff too. So I would like to think that he he realized that he handled that really shitty in his early in his early age. Yeah, Attributed it to to drugs and alcohol. I don't know, but but then the way he left the Velvet Underground too, playing that little residency for with that like nine, nine weeks. weeks or whatever yeah. it was, and the last show he just I'm done. And then just told Mo, who was pregnant at the time, who wasn't playing with the Velvet Underground, told her again, like, hey, remember you've been watching us play in the States? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> Go and tell them. I know. What the fuck? Like, I don't... It's so fucking weird. It's so weird. I know. I, it's the art I don't world, like though. It. Aren't, like, artists, aren't these people like like delicate geniuses? I don't know. I don't know. I guess. They pretend to be. Picasso or like Van Gogh burn his nose off or something? Or like his ear or some shit That's like Van that? Van Gogh. It was his ear. Cut his ear his off. Mouth burned his fucking Cut nostrils. His ear off. <laughs> <laughs> fucking dumb. Don't act like you don't know that. <laughs> don't act like you don't know that. Oh, come Just on. Just nonchalantly, like fucking putting everybody down because <laughs> I think it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll tell we, you. I'll what? tell you. When we saw the Mona Lisa like live in person, or oh, what yeah. they told us was the Mona Lisa. Could Dude, probably what was. a disappointment! How stupid was it? Like, it's so how small. Many, remember how many people were like looking at it, taking pictures? Like, it's a fucking picture of like a woman who's not even alive in the past million years. There's Who probably cares? Like, There's probably like seventy-five people in that room looking at a picture that's probably fucking twenty by twenty inches. You know, it's just like. It's fucking small, dude. And we were like, <laughs> I think we were a good, pro- I don't know, we were far away and it was just like, and it's, and it's behind That's all this it? plexi- it's behind all this plexiglass. And I know, it's so like, stupid. I mean, yeah, I understand it's like this very important thing in history, but. For no reason than just because yeah. someone else said it was. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, that was, that was a huge, I mean, the Louvre in general was really cool. It was a really, really cool museum. I kind of wish we would have spent more time there, but. Uh, but yeah, the Mona Lisa, man, that was, that was, I will never, I will never forget like all three of us at the same time. We're just like, that's it. (laughs) That's the fucking Mona Lisa. That little fucking picture. Okay. You want to get beers? it (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty disappointing, but the museum itself is really cool. And the grounds were really cool, but yeah. But other than that, yeah, the Mona Lisa, man, that was, that was really disappointing. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I, I just don't understand the art. I just, I don't get it. I mean, it's for some people, it's not for me. Yeah, so. same here. I, I'm not I'm not super into it. But I did learn a lot, though. When I, I I was with somebody, I was dating a girl for a while, and she was, that was her thing, was I was art. And she she showed me a lot and taught me a lot about it, but yeah, I just, I don't get it. But every once in but, a while, it's cool. There's got to be some, like, significance or connection to me personally, emotionally. Mm-hmm to want to like, like I've wanted to like put a bunch of like old, like Santa Cruz skateboards up in the, my music room. Cause I think they look cool. Mm. And it's good art. Like I've skated before, but like that has a connection to me. I can't imagine getting, I don't know, like putting the Mona Lisa up in your fucking, that's weird, dude. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're doing it like ironically or for some theme, but you know what? Now I'm gonna fucking put a picture of Mona Lisa up. <laughs> I'm gonna print out some. Oh, I'm gonna print out the one from Mr. Bean. Remember the oh the yeah, John, the one where he sneezes yeah. on. And he tries to wipe it off. That's, <laughs> I'm gonna try and get that one. That's a good one. Oh, that'd be so good. Get it like blown up and then frame it. Yeah, that's a that'd good be one. so that's funny. Uh, okay, yeah, should we play so, a little bit so, of the murder mystery or what? 
so 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 there's a couple there's a couple things here. So this this song's long, and I did timestamp it at the six thirty mark is when the song gets into that that piano thing, which I think is so fucking rad. It's so cool because it's so different, different but the same than the first Ooh. six and a half minutes. Because True. the first six and a half minutes are just complete chaos, but again, like I said, it's like a beautiful chaos. It's a it's a it's a well thought out chaos. And then when it hits that six thirty mark, that's when the piano comes in with a more traditional sound, and you think it's going to be a more traditional song, but it's still a little bit chaotic. You know, they're still yeah. they're still doing their own thing, but it blends a lot better, a lot more well. So I don't I don't know. Play, you play a little bit if you want. It's it's a long fucking song. It is. You and have to really. You, I, you, what? Yeah. No, what were you no, going to say? Yeah, you, you, you got to really listen to the whole thing to get the full of effect of how bizarre the song is. Yeah, and I, but that that opening guitar riff, it catches you like it's a it's a really simple good guitar riff, and it hooks you instantly, and then it then the chaos begins. But Damn. it's really good. So, I don't know what what do you want me to do? Start it from the beginning, play it at six thirty. What do you think? I would skip it entirely. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's okay. fair to the song. I mean, okay. Yeah, we don't have to play it then. But oh, it's I, my it's my BB, but I don't think it's fair to the song. That I totally understand, and I will say the this podcast is is mono is in mono, so whenever we play these songs, it doesn't do them justice because you need to listen to them in stereo, and listening to them on the pod is in mono. So yeah, just throwing that out there, like go listen to these songs with headphones on. In stereo because yeah, like it's literally much the most the most stereophonic song on this album in their career is like the murder mystery. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I highly recommend you putting on headphones and listening to that on whatever streaming service or vinyl, whatever you got it on, because it's good. It's so good. What's your what's All your right. BB? Uh oh, we didn't we we didn't touch on lyrics. Touch upon lyrics on murder mystery. I did. I didn't get into lyrics. Honestly, I I deliberately skipped that one. I did too because I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. There was too much. I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. I started reading through it and I got through like the first like three verses and I'm like, I don't know what I'm reading. Like I have no idea. And I, I tried. No, I tried, <laughs> but well, it's, it's just like they, nonsensical. They, were, they pulled for from like from not just like nonsensical things, but they also pulled from everything they've ever written, everything they've ever read, everything they've ever heard. And so there's so many words on there. I wasn't <laughs> about insane. to like we'd have an entire podcast just on that song. There's so there's yeah. that many words. I've never I've never seen a lyrics page that with that much shit. Like even even, even like, like the, the un, genius page was so lyrics, chaotic. It it doesn't. It's I've never it's seen a song structured like that because on the left side is is like Lou, and then on the right side is Doug's parts. But then there, if you look on the page, it's like. They sync up with one another lyric wise, but I've never seen a page set up like that. Yeah, that I've never site, seen columns like that. It's weird. It's very strange. Yeah. yeah. I so I didn't even I honestly just was like, nah, I'm good. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I felt the same way. Oh God. All right. So that was your BB. Uh my BB yeah. was What Goes On, which we already played. Oh damn. Yeah, this was uh this one's so I love this one. Uh it's the perfect combination of the CCR tone, like guitar tone and drums mixed with like good Beatles melodies vocally. And it's just this, this really cool, just mashup of that. And then you throw in, you know, not only the stereo mix, 
but then you throw in once the kind of the the bridge hits you kind of hear the the subtle not even the bridge necessarily just like pretty much the whole song the subtle like dueling of the guitars with with everything it's it's just so good like it's almost like they the entire record is are the two guitarists sterling and lou just kind of not even playing the same thing, but for whatever reason, however they they just kind of complement one another. The the two, the two guitar parts. It's so cool. It's yeah, so, so I cool. I mean I, there's a definite. If you compare their first album to this one, it's not a huge difference, mm-hmm. but comparing their second, the white no, the white light one to this one, massive difference. And that is, that is Kale. That's John John Kale. Mm-hmm. His his idea was let's push the let's just get as weird as we possibly fucking can, and they did that with their second album. And then when Lou Reed was like, "Well, can we just like maybe write music now and and with melodies?" and he's like, "Nah, fuck this. This band's stupid. I want I don't want to do it no more." And that's when <laughs> like he was told to get the fuck out. And yeah. so the difference between one and three isn't as big as it is from two to three. And so I think that's when they realize, like especially when Lou Reed realized that he can make like folk music but still kind of give it like a weird edge and that's yeah, what that's, this album is all about is there's a lot of folk in this there's a lot and and it wasn't obnoxious it was really good it wasn't obnoxious and and i kind of did bring up like the the bridge part or the instrumental parts because there's two there's one in the middle and the one at the end and the way the guitar the, the guitar and organ parts are just so good they're so fucking good i love i love the organ I just I think it just sounds so good on this record and especially this song. But yeah, yeah, it's a good. I don't know. It's it's, <laughs> it's it is. I mean, it's we already played it, I, but so I, I don't I don't know how to transition into the. It's next, a subtle. But. It's a subtle organ sound. It's in the back room in the background. Back room of the yeah. back room. It could be in the yeah. back room. Good back room of the background. Yeah. Yeah, I like. There's just, there's so many things about this this song that I really really like. I like so like just going working backwards. I guess I like their outros. And I mentioned it earlier. There's like nothing crazy or super experimental. It's just they they like to just have nice sounding grooves that allow the songs to naturally complete itself. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that they do. They don't they don't do that thing where you know they slowly turn the volume knob down like the fades. You you were all about the fades for a long time. You haven't faded in a long time. Oh, I fade. You just can't hear it. Do you? Oh yeah, I fade every time. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, that's you, good because you, you just can't, you can't hear it, it out yeah. or yeah. Uh, Discord. Discord cuts it out. <laughs> so I don't hear your stupid fucking fades, <laughs> but it's not like they're out there fading. They they let the songs naturally kind of kind of die, and mm-hmm. that's that's hard to do in itself because you go one bar too long, then the song's too long. You go one bar too short, then it's like, oh, why did they cut that up so abruptly? Just just knowing when to stop is good, and it's like mm-hmm. it's it's like drinking alcohol, knowing when your limit is. It's something difficult and takes practice. It really, really is. And knowing when to stop a song and let it just naturally stop is something very difficult that a lot of bands have never mastered. And that's why they use the fade. The fade is a tool, a crutch, I should say. The fade is a crutch. That's what it is. I wouldn't say it's a crutch. 100% is a crutch. The fade is a crutch. And going, going, still going backwards, the solo, rad. It's fucking Mm -hmm. sloppy. It's janky. A lot of like the solos that are on here, a lot of the guitar playing on here is a little bit sloppy, a little bit janky, but Which it's fine. fine. Yeah, it's totally that's what fine. they're doing. That's 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 the approach they had. Let's just let's just record it, play what you feel type of thing, rather than pick it apart and do something different. Because I feel like the first album was a little picked apart, done over a little bit more, 
And I think that's just from the pressure of having Andy Warhol there, having Nico there. I think this is the one. I think for sure, like White White Light was just a more abrasive, aggressive one. But this is a little more nuanced, a little more down to earth approach to songwriting. Very basic drum beat overall. Like Mo just fucking kills it. She reminds me of like a Meg White, but not bad. Yeah, <laughs> much better Meg. You know what yeah. I mean? She's very simplistic. And then what I was reading about her too is that she hated the sound of cymbals. So she went out of her way not to play the cymbals if she could. Yeah. So she's always, she's, I guess she's been compared. I mean, I I see it. She's compared to a lot of like tribal drumming styles and stuff like that simply because she does not play the cymbals or she tries not to. And it's, 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 it's totally true. There's another song that we'll talk about where she uses like the sticks in a a freestyling way to mimic like a higher pitch sound of a cymbal without using the actual cymbal. But I, I, I love it, man. I love the fast but like gentle strum pattern. I love the melody. I love the melody so much. If not for another song, this would be my favorite melody. But this is my three B. Okay, this is my three B. Oh, what goes on is. Yeah, I will say though, it's. I think it's the the poppiest song on the entire record. Definitely the poppiest song. I love it. I, I think it's. I think it's. It's a great song. So, what, what do you have lyrically on this one? I uh, I thought this was about about caring about someone who's in a self-destructive part of their life. Mm-hmm. But like more so, I almost thought there's like two people in the song. The verses seem, that seem like lost and negative while the choruses seem reassuring and positive as if the choruses are calming down the verses and like okay. reassuring that it's going to be all right. But then I get mixed up because of the usage of the first person and second person in the same verse. <laughs> yeah, it's true, huh? So that's what weirded me out, like the uses of you and then I in the same verse. But I do think that the choruses are there because it, it could be just Lou. It could be talking about somebody else. It could be the same thing. And and what was what I thought was, I mean, I didn't read into the lyrics of the other albums, but what I thought was great about this album was there's so many, there was like an overall theme for this album, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of different interpretations for that theme. And that's, and that's what I got. What was the theme that you kind of get on this record? melancholy just a lot of things being down on yourself accepting that everybody has faults type of thing yourself everybody else people make mistakes some mistakes are bigger than others except for murder mystery i had no fucking idea yeah yeah no idea i i think that (laughs) song was just lyrically i think that is just like a a you know a jump a bumbo jumbo i don't you can't even even know the words for it just it was just a stream of consciousness mess yeah Kind of like, you know, when we did Bloodhound Gang last week, the something diabolical. Yeah. I think it's just yes, like a string exactly. of words just to have words there. You know, it's just doesn't mean anything. Um, for, for me, lyrically on on what goes on, though, this is uh, this is about somebody he, he thinks doesn't have their life straight, how they constantly jump around from one thing to another. They're just they're they're just hyper They're They can't focus on one thing. There's no stability in their life, whether that be in relationships or just anything in general and them just, and then Lou just saying like, you got to just relax, just sit back and relax. And like, everything's going to be fine. Like it's somebody who stresses so much and is so scared of the world that they're constantly on the move and acting crazy. But he's just like, things aren't that crazy. Just fucking relax. So that's what I get with this one and what goes on. But I, who knows? I, I feel like a lot of these songs, I don't know what the fuck he's saying or talking about. I mean, like, that's 
that's under the same umbrella though. And and also again, like there was a lot of experimentation going on at the factory with Andy Warhol in the late sixties in general. I mean, how many times have we come in here and talk about the Grateful Dead and how much LSD was was being done in like the late sixties, early seventies. So there was it was just a very experimental time, an existential time, I guess. And I, I think that what you said also goes under the umbrella of what I think this whole album is about. Which is what did I say? Again, just being melancholy. Like, oh, okay, what yeah, I yeah. think the or, album is about is being melancholy, yeah. understanding, you know, there are self-destructive behaviors that people have. People do get down on themselves. People are unhappy. But yeah. overall, like, there may not be, like, a light. There's never, like, a lot of positivity on this album. I guess that's... that's yeah, that's true. Too. Yeah, that is. And there's some pretty pop-oriented songs. and But I've always liked that, when you have the, the upbeat songs with the sad lyrics or... The sad, of the contrast. The, the, som- the somber song with the upbeat lyrics. It's always kind of interesting. But, uh, but so you yeah, also did feel like the chorus and the verses were kind of like talking to each other. The choruses were reassuring the verses like things were going to be okay. A little bit, but I, I, I guess I just associated the, the choruses talking to the verses. I did, I, Literally what I just fucking said. No, no, no. You said like within. No, I thought you said within like the verses. Well, the, no, I said the choruses are there to like reassure the. Like, oh, you I thought you said. Oh, I'm sorry. Person, the verse is a person. You were not even listening to me. Why I was. Are you doing no, this because that's not what, to me. No, but that's not what you said earlier. You what said are you, you with felt, your hands right now. Are you playing Switch? No, no you no. Are you playing Animal what Crossing? you said. What you said earlier was you felt like within the verses, it was him talking to somebody else. I could have sworn that's no, what I, you said. No, I I I said within the verse, I thought there was a first and second person that, okay, happening. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's so what you, I was trying to say. You just you latched onto that one little thing. I that's did. No, I did. Though. I did. Yeah. So I my did, B, yeah. my my BAB <laughs> was murder mystery. My second yeah. B. <laughs> uh huh. Is right after after hours, dude. That is a good song. That, Easy. Easy. That, that is a six B for me. Um, but it's good. It's 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 so different because it is uh it's Mo singing. She has lead vocals on this one. And it's, I think, no, it's the second shortest song by like five seconds, I think. Four seconds. It's like two minutes and seven seconds. And um, it's cool, man. So so what, what do you got on this one? The making just, of it was, I thought was interesting. Just listening to this record for the first time, like in my life, as a like grown ass man in his mid thirties, listening to this and then going from murder mystery, I was like, wow, that was fucking intense. <laughs> and then it goes into after hours the first time I've heard her sing, really, and then it's a completely stripped down, basic, basic song. I was still like, I was still recovering from the murder mystery. Yeah, it wasn't until like subsequent listens where I, I finally realized, like, dude, this is a, this is a beautiful song. It's an endearing, beautiful song. It's a perfect closer. And what makes this song so good? is how vanilla it is. This song is so vanilla with so many <laughs> bands and producers like turning to like well-crafted sonically technical albums of the late 60s. This is so amateur. This is so fucking amateur. This is this is the song that I I told you I I I uh I don't know if you remember but I told you there was a song on this album that reminded me of the Moldy Peaches which was what made like Juno, that movie Juno oh, that yeah, one page. Yeah. yeah. So massive that band that uh, nobody else but you song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How people just fell in love with that song, and that's like that's this song. You fall in love with it because of how 
how basic it is, how vanilla it is. And it's, it's the song itself is built to let Mo shine. Like Yule, Yule does minimal work on the bass. Uh, Lou Reed's got a simple strumming pattern, mm-hmm. but the song is built to let her do her thing. And it's such a nice sounding song that makes you think this band was super close knit and really cared for each other because of the story that Lou Reed wrote the song and was like, damn, this is a good song that like Mo would do. And like we talked about Josh Freeze and how cool he is with like Brooks coming in and playing drums. You almost get that feeling here that this band was so close to each other that Lou Reed would write a song for like his best friend and like yeah. give it to her and like, hey, dude, you should write, you should sing this because it sounds fucking great. And she's like, well, I don't like singing. He says, I know, but like you would sound really good doing it. And like you get that feeling. I mean, yeah. not really the case, but you get that feeling. I read, uh, I read too that I, I think she did like eight takes of this because she was so nervous, and it she wasn't until hated the, it. Yeah, it wasn't until the last take when she said like everybody needs to leave the room except for the engineer and Lou, and then that that last take was when she got it, and that's the one that you hear on the record. And then she said she told Reed or she told Lou that you know I never want to play this live uh, unless somebody requests it, and then I guess like. N- a couple months later, somebody in some random dude in Texas requested it, and so she had, she ended up singing it live, and that was her first time ever singing live. Yeah, That's that quote said, "She said some creep suggested it." Okay, she yeah, like called creep. him a fucking creep. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, that's a little much. Like, people really connected with this song because it is a very. I mean, I don't. There's not a lot written about Mo, but from yeah. what I read, this song is is like in like in, it's it's her song. Like yeah. it's yeah. it's her shy personality fit the feeling of the song, and it was like it meant more to her than it did to Lou Reed. That's why I gave it to her, and it's just I don't know. It's 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 like an ode to loneliness and, and self isolation, right? And it's just it's about wanting to be alone, and like the whole shutting the door aspect. And it's like, well, if it's too bright outside, to shut the door. It's like I'm okay with just being by myself. I'm okay being in the dark. I'm okay with people not seeing who I really am because I don't care. I don't want them to see me. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you got? Because I, w- I was a little confused on, on the lyrics. I just thought it was about depression and, and her just kind of shutting out the world because she just wanted to, she just couldn't deal with the, you know, the outside world, I guess you could say. She just wanted to be by herself, but for more like sad reasons than anything else. I don't, I mean, just people aren't the same, right? Like people just yeah. aren't the same. Like, like, uh, like you don't sing karaoke. Oh no, I won't and, do it. And for it doesn't matter why you don't do it. It's just you don't want to do it. This is like an ode to loneliness. And and again, like oh yeah, that's what we're talking. About. We're talking about karaoke. How you don't do karaoke? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. There was a little technical difficulty. Yeah, there, but we're talking yeah, about karaoke. Fucking, how you don't do karaoke? karaoke. Just, no, I will like, not. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. You just don't like doing it. Done and it once, like, never do it again. Yeah, and then Ryan does it all the time, and this is. These are two different things. Not one is not better than the other, or one is not worse than the other. It's just different. And I think when Lou Reed wrote this song, he was feeling like lonely, and he was feeling like down on himself. But giving it to Mo meant something different because that is her personality. And not saying that she's like lonely all the time or sad. That's just who she is. She shuts the door on people because, like Fred in the Pod, Annie, like Annie would never really like be outgoing or. You know what I mean? Like, there's just different. Yeah, well, it's. I think it it comes down to being more of an introvert, and that's probably what Mo is. She's probably more of an introvert. She's one hundred percent an introvert. Yeah. Yes. So and I, I mean that that makes. I mean that if you, it, I think when you put it that way, it makes more sense. 
And I, not I necessarily think lonely, but yeah. like the concept of closing the door, like so, I, like clo- if you close the door, I never have to see the day again. To yeah. one person, that that sounds like I'm so depressed. Like close the door, don't let the sunshine in. But to another person, it's like I don't want to do that stuff. So just like, why don't you want to do? I don't know. Close the door. I don't have to think about it. Then I don't give a fuck. It's two. It's two different things for the same song, and I think it meant something different to Lou, but then giving it to Mo meant something more endearing, more personal, and kind of more beautiful. It was nice. Yeah, I agree. I I, I do agree with you on that. She killed it. Uh, she did. She did. So I'm gonna play a little bit of uh, After Hours from the Velvet Underground. So here we go. One, two, three. If you close the door. The night could last forever Leave the sun shine out And say hello to never All the people are dancing and they're having such fun I wish it could happen to me But if you close the door I'd never have to see the day again If you close the door the night could last forever leave the wine glass out and drink a toast to never oh someday i know someone will look into my eyes and say hello you're my very special one but if you close the door I'd never have to see the day again Dog party bars, shiny Cadillac cars And the people on subways and trains Looking grey in the rain As they stand disarrayed All but people look well in the dark There it is, a little bit of After Hours from uh, the Velvet the Velvet Underground. Why do I have such a fucking hard time saying this stupid band Because you dumb. Oh, it's so annoying. Because <laughs> your rankings are fucking trash. That's why. Uh, but wait, what's really, co- I think, is really endearing about this song as well is that she, normally, like, vocalists, they'll throw in, like, some reverb or maybe some, some echo to their vocal track. But there's nothing here. It, like, this is it's almost like a scratch track. Yeah. And and then you listen to everything else. The, the recording, you, you could just hear the hiss. The hiss of the mics trying to just pick up whatever sound it could, they could pick up. So you're just getting this like this hiss, this this white noise that just like cuts through the mix, but which normally would be distracting. But in this case, it just adds to the, I guess, the melancholy of this song. It's the best way to describe it, or the way she sings at least. It does. That's dude, that's totally true. Like when you hear that hiss, you assume it's because they're turning the mics up so loud. For whatever reason, sometimes normally it's because they wanted something loud as fuck. But here it's probably because she just would not sing loud. She yeah, probably, probably is yeah. so fucking shy that she just would not sing loud. And in 1969, it's not like they have all these programs where they can delete all that hiss. And so they had to turn the mics up super loud because she just would not sing loud, which kind of yeah. like adds to that effect. That's cool. I dig it. And what's cool about it too is like she's not this like amazing singer. She's a good singer, but it's nothing. It's nothing like spectacular, but it adds to the just the I use it so much, but the charm of the the whole track itself. It she's it it's just it just everything works so well in this song. 
It's good. It's really, really good. Man. So, did you did you look up any covers? Because that was the first thing I did for this song specifically was look no, up covers. No, I didn't. But it so sounds like a song that would have been on like any uh, Wes Anderson. Wait, Wes Anderson. Wait. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, yeah. like every song wow, is like dude. based off of this song. <laughs> hearing Sue George or Sway Jorge. Hearing him do a cover of this would have just been, dude. Hear, hearing him do like a like a Life Aquatic David Bowie thing, but with oh, the other backgrounds. Oh my! I thought you said he he did a cover of this. I'm like, no way, dude. I would just I would That'd love to so hear good. him do a lot of these songs. That would be so rad. That would be. Uh, but no, I did look up some covers, and then I have two here that are pretty notable in in uh, what's going on. But one one is Meg Meg and Jack White. Jack, they did one? Yeah, yeah, Jack played like a, like a really crunchy guitar like he normally does. And he had Meg sing. And you could tell she was super nervous. She's not a good singer. And it was live. And it was Wait, nice. Was, was this the, the, the song that they did on Conan? Conan's no. last show? Uh, no, may, okay. Actually, maybe. No, 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 no. This was, this was a while ago. Like a long well, no, it was, it was. This is like when Conan left to, to take over Jay Leno's spot. On the late night show, remember, like this is like 2010. But this seemed like a bit. I mean, maybe I don't know. It seemed like a big place they were playing. Oh, okay, then but it, it totally, okay. it totally could have been. It seemed like a big place, but it was dark, so I, I could be totally mistaken. But, but anyway, <laughs> they did it, and I mean, this is on record. So, like Meg obviously isn't going to sound as good as Mo is because of mm-hmm. the production quality. But it was, uh, it was the same thing, and there were times where like the crowd could tell she was kind of like nervous and they would they would cheer and they would like shout like you're doing great and then she would like nervously giggle and then jack would have to like reposition his 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 riffage to start it over and it was (laughs) dude it was so good man it was so cool and like as much shit as we talk on meg she's the perfect she's the perfect drummer for like the white stripes she totally is and yeah i I won't throw that out there and the other one she is the other cool cover I saw was uh, Anthony Kiedis and, and John Frusciante. Oh, they're, really? They're on a boat in like 1991. They're on a boat in like Venice or something. Like oh, Italy. I know what video you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what video Dude, you're Frusciante's talking about. Dude, Frusciante's super skinny, shaved yeah. head. Well, because well, he's like, he's totally strung out on <laughs> yeah. heroin. Like this yes. is like right before he he almost died. Yeah. Yes, dude. He is clearly. No, I know exactly like, he, what video you're talking about. He is so skinny. But yeah, they do this song, and and Frusciante does it justice. He's just dumbing it down. Kiedis is doing his Kiedis thing, you know, trying way too hard. But it's cool. It's endearing. <laughs> it's endearing, and it's 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 cool to see like like Kiedis and Frusciante have this moment where they can kind of just be like friends and not <laughs> and not have to worry about kind of like anything else because yeah, like Frusciante did not, did not look good at all. Yeah, no, he was he was terrible. Have you ever ever seen those videos of when? that documentary came out after he had already quit the peppers and he was, he was, it was filmed in his little shitty apartment in LA and he looked like he was a, he was a skeleton essentially. Like you would never recognize the guy cause he was so, so fucked up on heroin. Have you ever seen that video? He's playing guitar. I've, I've never seen the video, but and I've he seen has pictures like, of him in that and era. He has, and he has like track marks all over his arms. Yeah. And, dude, it's sad. It's so sad. And that was the video that that was the documentary that was released that kind of like changed his life because everybody started reaching out to him, not realizing how bad he, his addiction had become. And then after that was released, they, everybody reached out to him and he got his shit together. 
but that that though that video of him in his apartment was it's, it's kind of scary looking like it's it's so weird so weird i mean if but anything i, I like, do look know what up, you're talking about though. look up that 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 rendition of it and it's it's cool because like he and Frashanti were they were buds, dude. It's 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 I don't know. It's 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 always fun to see like high A tier musicians kind of just let loose and and hang out and do what they set out to do when they first started being a band before mm-hmm. egos and drugs and women got involved. And that was a a, a brief glimpse into those early days. Yep, it was cute. Yep. It was cute. So I did look up the White Stripes on Conan, and so the, it wasn't it wasn't a Velvet Underground song. They actually played a, a diff, they played we're we're going to be friends, but like a uh, ah. like an alternate version of it. So Meg sang it. Really, I think she's pretty sure she sang the song, and that was that was literally the last time they ever played together was the, on Conan O'Brien, and that was on February twentieth, two thousand nine, and then they broke up two years later, but that was the last time the two ever performed together. <laughs> They broke up. <laughs> they broke up. You so. mean Jack White didn't want to be the White Stripes anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably the other way. I, I don't think she ever wanted to be in that band. No. I really don't think she ever wanted to be in that band. No, because she doesn't know what she's doing. She was just like, hey, what do I do now? And he, was, he told her what to do, which is what fits so perfectly because of, I mean, that's a whole different thing, And but uh, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I remember... Your, uh, I watched I watched a, the White Stripes DVD with Annie once, long, long time ago. It was like right after they broke up, they released this DVD, and it was them on tour, and uh, and he, he was talking to like it was backstage, and he was talking to Meg, and she just like wasn't talking back to him. She just wasn't answering his questions, and there's like this awkward silence, and he's like, "This is a really great talk," like, and then he just like gets really, really mad at her, like, "Why don't you ever answer me? Why don't you ever talk to me?" Like he kind of like freaks out on her for never responding, and she just kind of like shrugged it off. He's a weird dude too. Like I've never watched weird, an yeah. interview with him where he's seemed like a normal. Even like the the it may get loud like Doc. Like he was just just weird the whole like awkward the whole time. Just like he was, almost yeah. like purposely shut off. Like yeah, consciously shutting himself off for the sake of just being weird. But damn that doc that documentary was uncomfortable. Because the edge was so outclassed in every which way. It was just like three guys so that are so different, but two of them were actually good, while one of them relies on on computers to do most of the work for him. <laughs> Effect and pedals, it was, yeah. That was very bizarre. It was weird. Very yeah. weird. All right. So that was your that was my your two B, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, to be so or my two B. My two B is the first song. Candy says. It's, this is a Doug a Doug Ewell song. He wrote this song, uh, and he was lead vocals because, I guess, uh, Lou Reed, they were, they were touring at this time, and Lou Reed had kind of like strained his voice, I guess blew it out almost, and, uh, and Doug was just there to kind of help him out, and he sang lead on this. But it seems like the, the, the lyrics are very Lou Reed-based, but the vocals and, and the melodies are very, are very Doug. But I love this song. I thought this is such a cool opener to the entire record. There's some really interesting high, high, higher pitched vocals that you don't hear much until this record, and then the squeeze, the squeeze record, where you know Doug. Pretty, I mean, Doug does do everything on that record. But this is this is definitely an outlier. And coming off of the first two records, you just I didn't see this coming. I I was. 
I was kind of blown away by this. Like you get the one, two punch of candy says, and then what goes on polar opposites of what you hear off the first two records. It's like, it's almost like a different band, but better actually, actually much better. So it's, I mean, it's, it is completely different from their second. Yes. I mean, I 100% agree that it's, it's a completely different band because it's not, it's not purposely aggressive. Their first album was, was, like they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They had an idea, but they also wanted to put out an album that people will listen to. Like nobody puts out a fucking album expecting no one to listen to it. There's at least some sort of semblance where you want people to listen to your music. And then true, Andy true. Warhol, who was a a friend, but then also a manager, but not a good manager, but a manager. There was just a lot of bad things with the first album. So it didn't turn out the way they expected it to. And actually, none of their albums really turned out the way they expected it to because they Except know what the fuck they're doing. No, but this one, like it, when you read, I, I've, the, the bit I read about this record was Doug, especially Doug was saying like everybody in the band was very happy during the, this making of the record. Everybody got along. Everybody collaborated. Like it, the, he said that the, it was a great experience making this record. But then you look at every other record and it wasn't the case. Like everybody had issues with somebody. This is the only one where they actually seemed happy as a band writing songs I mean, and I, you, I think that's it's really telling because this record does stand out from every other record they've done it's it's just the most like like endearing it's the most it's the most yeah. down to earth and folky but like also some of the that's most not entirely true too. that is that is not entirely true because they weren't completely happy with it because lou reed remixed the whole fucking thing and he was upset about the way it sounded so he remixed well, the entire thing <laughs> Yeah, so but they, that that's, was all, that's, yeah. that's not entirely true because but that but that doesn't fucking little cucks about it. But but the mixing that's after the fact, you know. We're, we're I'm talking about like the recording and the songwriting process. The mixing part of it that that's post. That's after it's it's been recorded. So at least what Doug, at least what I was getting from it, Doug was saying during the recording and writing of this record, it was very happy and no, that's and that. also not true because some kind of love. It's it's the closet rendition of that one, the one that Lou Reed remixed, mm-hmm. that was one that they recorded two different versions of, but ended up using a different version, but they kept the other version they didn't use. And that's when Lou Reed went back and then remixed into his closet, uh, the remix or whatever it yeah, was, the closet, mix. the closet mix. And so like, they still like Lou Reed still kept that. There was still something. I mean, I, I, I agree out of all of their albums, this is the most cohesive. This is the most happy they've been. But I think this is a band that just never, never realized their full potential because of whatever reason, and this is the closest they ever got to it. But I mean, it's not, I think it's still not. There. I think the reason is because of Lou Reed. Like he is the reason why <laughs> this band did kind of fall apart because he had issues with everybody else. It seems to an extent, but, like he was like the principal songwriter, singer. Front he was. Man. He was. So I mean that's like that's like Rivers complaining about his bandmates. Oh wait, he has done that multiple times. That's all right. <laughs> no, it's I don't know, man. It's it's <laughs> and again, like they weren't making money. Like it's imagine being in a band where like you're you're pouring your heart and soul into music that is so unheard of, and now when a band comes out and they do something so vastly different, they at least get recognition for being unique. But in like 1967 to like 1970, when a band comes out like the Velvet Underground, who are so unique in their sound, 
they get fucking blacklisted. They get shelved. And yeah, like that's yeah. got to be straining. I can't imagine trying to be a band, trying to like thinking like, dude, our music is really good. Like this sucks. Nobody wants to listen to it just because we're not psychedelic rock or folk music. And that's that's got to be hard. But it has people got to eat. I mean, yeah, it has to be hard. But then you also have to understand, like, you have to kind of if you want to be successful, you kind of have to go with the times. Because it's it's so it's so rare where a band is just gonna blow up for doing something different. And these I guys mean, didn't go with the times. They did their own thing. They forged they didn't, their own and path. that's why they weren't successful. Like that at the true. time. So it's like I mean, you you kind of know what you're getting yourself into by doing something so different from the status quo. Like more likely, I mean, more likely than not, you're not gonna blow up. Very few bands do, you know. And th- and then the bands that do, then everybody starts copying them. So it's like, you know, the Beatles, a lot of people copied them. Hey, CCR is hey, another example. Hey, Zeppelin. Oh. But you know what I mean? Like a lot of people started taking from the Beatles, you know, and it started with Chuck Berry, you know, Little Richard, Chuck Berry. People took from them, you know, the Beatles. And then you go through history, you know, Zeppelin, Van Halen, Korn, um, the Nirvana. Fu- what are you doing? Get out of here with your queen. <laughs> what the f- what? But you, but I know, I know, yeah, you're making fun of me, but Korn, what Korn did they did something so different, but it it blew them up. Like, hate it or not, it fucking was successful and it worked for them. They tried. They were doing something wildly different within the scene and it worked for them. They did blow up, regardless yeah, they, of what you think they, of them. They appealed, to Same a with scene, they appealed to a scene that, much like Mindless Self-Indulgence, like we talked about them and Frankenstein Drag Queens, they're appealing to a scene that feels like they've been neglected by music. The and Velvet then, and, Underground yeah. also appealed to a scene that wasn't quite ready to admit that they've been neglected by music. Okay, but still, it, my, my point is, you know, you, you're, you're going into this, this music styling that you know is not popular. It's going against the status quo. You can't expect to get big unless you start following that status but quo. But that's the thing. They didn't they just know, weren't, they, they they were, didn't know it, was impo- it didn't exist. Well, that, I know, and, and neither did grunge, neither there. did new metal, neither did fucking, you know, the metal that Van Halen did. Velvet, did. Velvet Under, there's, you know there's what, grunge and Velvet Underground. You understand what I'm getting at. I understand, you, but like Nirvana coming to the scene and like blowing up with the grunge was before Nirvana. Nirvana didn't invent Well, there grunge. was, yeah. They didn't invent it, but they, they, they were the, like, they went into So they were coming a genre, into a scene that but already they, kind but of they existed. But they went into a, a genre and scene that, that wasn't, that was so small and nothing but That's they ended the up being the band that Velvet blew up. Underground but didn't go on. into a scene you, that was small. You know, they go into a scene that was non-existent. There was you know, no scene. You know, there has to be like several several bands that were also playing the same, you know, fet- art art shows that the Andy Maybe. Warhol was putting on. Like, come Maybe. on, dude. That's just this. That's okay, silly this is talk. this That's silly boy uh, talk. This is the exact same example that I gave earlier on with your beer. The fact that you thought you were the first one to try the beer, like really, bro? You think you're the first one to try? No, I was the kidding. Beer? I was totally kidding. Of course, but no, no. This is a good example. But of course, there were other people that tried your beer. That when the brewers can a beer, they're going to give it to their friends, their family. Just because yeah, they didn't yeah. rate it doesn't mean they didn't try it. This is a good example. Yeah, of course, there were other bands probably doing the Velvet Underground stuff. So then, what are you, what are you talking Underground. about then? But we don't know who they are. Okay, who cares? I, I what do you mean, who cares? Who gives a fuck? Until you give me like a definitive the answer. Idea. They don't exist. Okay, they don't just, exist. Okay. Think about it this way too. Like how much of this kind of music do you know from this era, from psych rock 
psych rock wise. You this don't. specific like, it's a, sound, it's a there's new, none. It's there's new, literally but, none. But also, just think even about the craziest rock. band of this think time, about, the Mothers of Invention, were not like this. Think think of psych rock in general. In general, in gen- general, in general, <laughs> you don't know much about that genre because you're so new to it. Had you grown up within the psych, the psych rock, garage rock era of music, then yeah, you you could probably name off twenty other bands that sound similar, if not the same, to Velvet Underground. You just but didn't Velvet grow up with it. psych rock. But I'm just saying, like within a certain genre of music, you probably would have heard certain bands that sound similar or the same to Velvet Underground. At some point, there has to be a first person to do something, right? Yeah, but nothing, nothing like starts and stops. But like, would you, like, there's always would a you agree? Like, there has there's to be a first a person to do something. There had to have been a first caveman to like discover fire. Like, holy fuck, dude, we could. Hey, other caveman, we yeah, could use this, this right? There but, has but to be a first person. Why can't the Velvet Underground be, be the first nothing, person to do this? But nothing is so black and white. Like, there has to be a progression between the genres. You know, th- there has to. And be, we like, heard some it from their first building. album to this album. You're not. I'm talking like, about even bands, like arguably other bands like the outside most of Velvet like, Underground, like avant-garde experimental, like Frank Zappa and the Mothers. Like Frank Zappa is, is one of the most experimental dudes of all time. Yeah, he is. Yeah, their first several albums were straight psych rock, rock and roll. They were nothing like the first Velvet Underground record, and I've listened to them. Yeah, I know. I nothing know. like it. I know. There was nothing like the Velvet Underground. I mean, in. I've not read everything, like you said. Of and course. you haven't you haven't listened. I didn't to grow. A, I didn't grow up in stuff. the era. I don't know at all. You didn't grow up on movies, like Ryan has. I didn't grow up on movies, so. <laughs> but like the Velvet Underground the for until I'm proven wrong. Like they they, dude, it's them, and they weren't big, and that's what like leads me to believe that they were the first ones to do it because they didn't blow up. They didn't get big okay, till like I the nineties, the two thousands. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Even I still know. today, like they nobody still gives a fuck about them. Like, oh, yeah, the Velvet Underground, you know, yeah, the Andy Warhol, right? Yeah, yeah. And nobody still gives a shit about them. Yeah. But fuck me if they're not good. Mm. They are really good. They are mm. really good. And Kenny says uh. is a perfect example of, of how they were pushing the envelope, talking about things that seem taboo, but are just everyday things. Mm-hmm. And the things that are just taken that... that, that Less than face value now. Like nobody even bats an eye at this stuff anymore. Holy fuck, dude! Like in the sixties, early seventies. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you joking my ass? Well, I mean, and okay. So, so regarding like taboo subjects, let's play a little bit of Candy Says and then talk about the lyrics because the lyrics are uh, they're different. Like for a lot of a lot of genres of music, even to this day. So. Um, here's a little bit of uh, Candy Says from the Velvet Underground. Here we go. Candy Says I've come to hate my body And all that it requires In this
There you go. A little bit of Candy Says from Velvet Underground. Uh, what do you uh, What do you got lyrically on this one? This is uh, so like for one, this is kind of from the viewpoint of a of a woman, specifically Candy Darling. Mm-hmm. This yeah. this kind of the song starts off the theme of of melancholy and and starts off strong with kind of not knowing who you are what you want to be not being happy with yourself and it speaks like on literally wanting to be someone else in order to be happy and subject material aside i love the way that he rhymes in some of these verses like i just i don't know what it's called and i try to look for it if there was a specific literary term for the way he does it for instance when he says i like to completely know or I like to completely know what others so discreetly talk about. Rhyming completely mm-hmm. with discreetly, but then ending talk about after discreetly. There's something about that like rhyming couplet I think is fantastic. And then he says later on, I hate the big decisions that cause endless revisions in my mind. That's a good that's a really good line. I like that one. Whatever whatever that's called, because you're not ending you're not ending the sentence on the rhyming, right? There's still yeah. a little bit after it. But because it's such a big word, because it's so, it's so obvious, you don't have to worry about what comes after it. But I don't. If anybody out there knows anything about poetry, which I don't, whatever <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, called is fucking dope. I love that so much. And well, then, I uh, mean, the choruses too. I mean, I'm sure that you might know the name of how the choruses go because it's the first and third line rhyme, the ending rhyme, the second and fourth rhyme, and then the fifth and sixth. Actually, then the fifth and sixth rhyme. So is that is that a is that something? I don't know. I mean that's, but I, that's I do like how it rhymes. <laughs> it does sound nice. If we're talking about like just the first, third, and then second, fourth, that's just like your standard A B A B rhyming scheme. But yeah, having but having like the last the two six, I would got, I would like I don't know, I would just put that into its own separate category as not in like a stanza of those things. But maybe there is also something on that too. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. know. It's a a really, it's such a fucking Walt Whitman over here. I don't know. (laughs) It's also like, you know, to start out a record on such a, a quiet melancholy note is so, uh, it's so unheard of. Like what band starts out an album like this? It just doesn't happen. And then when you, to me, okay. So lyrically it's about Candy Darling who, who was a transgender woman, uh, from the factory and Andy Warhol's factory. I don't even know how to properly say that. It sounds so weird when I say from the factory, but I think it's Andy Warhol's the factory. The factory. Yeah. So it was somebody that they knew from there. And lyrically what I get, I I feel like it's, it's Lou Reed talking about how, or his lyrics talking about how, you know, she's it's gen it's about gender dysphoria and how she doesn't, she's questioning like, why am I not this way or that? It's just, I feel it, it, it's just basic gender dysphoria. And at this time in 1969, talking about <laughs> no, something like this is just even talking about this stuff now into 2021. It's, yeah. You know, it's just, what is it? 52 years later, you know, even now it's just, it's not taboo really nowadays, but it, a lot of people don't talk about it. So back in 69, when this is happening, it's even crazier. And then I didn't know this until, the last couple of days when I was reading more about Lou Reed, but he dated a transgender woman in the seventies. Did you, did you read that? Yeah. 
he had I had no idea like that like how I I mean that's I, I think just couldn't believe it I mean that's that's great I mean it's so progressive and it's just so it just shows like his his mindset and like how he would just thought so differently from everybody but not in like a a bad way you know it's just it's, it's, crazy. it's just, it was just like man it's it's hard to like verbalize but there's a song on this album too where where like alcohol comes into play and drugs and they speak on on, on there's like a personification of the alcohol and drugs where it talks about how just because love you think love means between a man and a woman love can be anything you can love your dog you can love whatever and like the love will it can transcend like like literal terms into something like metaphorical and you can i don't know you can be in love with like a sunset or something like that and so mm-hmm. don't don't i think like Lou Reed was was very progressive in the fact that he didn't let himself be pigeonholed into like a a love between a man and a woman and I, th- mm-hmm. I swear I read that he first had come out like gay before anything. And then later on went to like marry or have like relationships with females. But being in the factory with Andy Warhol, I think that's what he, Andy Warhol did best, which is expanding people's minds. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even though the art thing is fucking dumb and I still don't like art, I don't care. I think just being in the scene, I think would have been cool just to be in like, I don't know, be around people that were just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I love dogs. Who thought outside the box? I love fucking boxes. I love the way the sunset looks. On, That's I don't also know. kind of obnoxious. It is obnoxious. It is obnoxious. <laughs> but <laughs> but it is, but that is very psychedelic like in thought. Yeah. Like, hey, man, is, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, this is get high and like think about the sunset. Yeah. I don't know why I keep bringing up the sunset, but this is what I think. <laughs> I <know. laughs> Dogs, cardboard boxes, and sunsets. I know, sunsets. Yeah. They're all good things. I love all three <laughs> things. They're amazing. Sun, actually, I, to be honest, I like sunrises more than sunsets, but I see more sunsets than sunrises for sure. True. But that could be yeah, why yeah. I like sunrises more because I don't see them that often. <laughs> but yeah, th- I don't know. Like, like this, this candy says thing. This candy darling, uh, she died before she was in fucking thirty, right? Yeah. So like, this song was written like five years later. She was dead. She's gone. Lymphoma killed her. And I think like the opening and closing lines of this song are so impactful. He opens with, "I've come to hate my body," and he closes with, "If I could walk away from me," and like that is it. That's the last. The last line. Yeah, oh, yeah, if, if I, I could, could walk, walk away, away from, from you. Oh, that's wow, like, that's that's deep. But this song is presented in such like an easy breezy song, and it's it's light hearted song, and it feels like it should be an endearing song about like a lover or a crush, and it's so fucking sad. And they had mm-hmm. a good relationship, whether or not it was sexual or platonic, I don't know. But like Lou Reed and and the band, they like Candy Darling was like the muse of the band. Like she hung around with the band, and they were yeah. they were like they were homies. So like they had a relationship with her, and it's just I don't know, man. It's fucking sad. It's it's sad that that people just can't be people. Yeah. And it's we're still today people just can't be people, and that we just we pride ourselves ourselves on on things are being black and white, and it's just like who the fuck cares, dude? Yeah, it's true. And like Wait, these guys and- were doing that fifty years ago. It's crazy too. Like he was never he was never like blacklisted or. I mean, the criticism he he got from you know all the the you know the gay stuff and the trans stuff and and all that like he never he was criticized for it but it was never like 
it never seemed to hurt his career. It never really seemed to affect his psyche. I mean, he was not only did he hang out with, you know, at the factory with, with Warhol, who was obviously, he was gay and he was openly gay. I mean, in the sixties, that that's huge. And then dating the transgender woman in the seventies for, I think like four years or something like that, you know, that's, that's big too. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's wild. It's, it's really wild. And it never really tarnished his, it never, tar- I mean, as far as I know, it never tarnished his career. He just was like, who fucking cares? Like, I'm just going to keep making music. Yeah. I'll make my 25 records until I die. And <laughs> you know, like, I don't give a fuck. And he was, you know, more power to him. Like, good for him. That That's awesome. So uh, that's, that's like exactly his attitude was, was like, yes, I'm going to like be a dick to a lot of people, but like, I've been around a little bit. Like, I know what's going on. Like you can't, fool me once you know type of thing and he he knows what's going on like he knows what's happening Mm -hmm. he he knows he's been in there he's done it all he's seen it all he's experienced it all he's had friends in like every walk of life and so i think lou reed can kind of be almost untouchable in that aspect where he can say almost anything and it comes from a place of 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 uh i don't know experience he's experienced these things firsthand and accepted these things firsthand more than anybody ever has yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. I'll give yeah. him that. So we got anything else on Candy Says? Should we go to another song, or what do you think? No, okay, that's it. That's good. Okay. So then what's your what's your 3B? Because I got six, so we're almost done with mine. Okay. Uh, My 3B, what was my 3B? Oh, it's just disappeared, uh-huh. right? Oh, no, we did my 3B. What goes on? That was my 3B. Okay. So then... We'll go with mine real quick. Uh, Pale Blue Eyes. This is, uh, I, I, in the end, I kind of like the slower jams more on this record than anything else. This is, uh, his voice just sounds really pleasant, really nice. Uh, the only, the only percussion is just a tambourine just to keep time. Otherwise you have the strumming guitar in one ear and then the guitar lead in the other. It just, it just sounds so nice. It sounds so good. I, I just love the simplicity, absolute simplicity of this song and just the the calmness of it all. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. They, they, like, they, they, these dudes dumbed it down so much for this one. After coming off just trying so hard to be so obnoxious on their second <laughs> album, they just they went such a different route for their third. Like this was like the Pinker did compared to their blue. Like it's it's so different. Yeah, Even yeah, more definitely. so. And it's this. I this is similar to Candy says, and it's sort of like a setup and delivery, I don't know, type of thing. It's it's a it's a nice pleasant song, but this time, I think this is a more positive experience, mm-hmm. a more positive message. Minimal percussion, like you said, very cool bass line. It's like mm-hmm. noodling all over, but it stays in its lane. It stays in its no, lane. You're right. You're totally right. It does just enough to to be to be recognizable but it doesn't overpower anybody at any time. Absolutely right. Uh, should we play a little bit of it and then get into the lyrics? or, or yeah. Because, it, it, I mean, it, like we said, it is pretty straightforward, so there's not a lot to talk about musically. But, um, so yeah, here, here's a bit of Pale Blue Eyes from The Velvet Underground. Sometimes I feel so happy Sometimes I feel so sad 
sometimes feel so happy But mostly you just make me mad Baby, you just make me mad Linger on Also talk about how just that that droning organ just sounds so good. <laughs> like it just sounds like I. It reminds me of like watching the, the the Disney cartoon Robin Hood, and it goes to the the church when 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 fire when Friar Tuck is right before he's about to get arrested by the sheriff, and like just like the organ that the the mice are playing, like it just sounds so like somber and just ah, oh, dude, I love it. I it just. I love the organ. The organ is one of my favorite instruments that like instantly hooks me. It's like the organ, the vibraphone, you know, it's just, you throw those in a song and I'm, I'm hooked. Like no matter how subtle and dumb it is, I'm fucking hooked. I but love that's it. all it really can be though. Like you have, you have to know your limits with those things. Yeah. Cause yeah. if it's overpowering, it's obnoxious. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and this is, this band, like at this point in their career was just, like damn! Like I wonder if they're in the studio. That's too much organ. That's too much. Still too much. Too too much. Like dude, I can barely hear it. It's still too much. Oh, you're perfect. <laughs> because it's like you can barely hear it. It's barely yeah, there. Yeah. Perfect. It's just it, it's it's overshadowed by by the the guitar and vocals, but it's still. It's it just adds so much to the. I hate using the word vibe because that's such a dumb word, but. I guess vi- for lack of a better word, vibe. Like it just the song would not be the same without it. As yeah. subtle as it is, it would not be the the same without it. So, I love that. I fucking love that song. Uh, lyrically, though, what do you, what do you have lyrically on this one? Uh, I think it's about loving someone who's probably never going to feel the same way. It's yeah, that, that's pretty much what I got to. But like, like even that same concept can go can go a little bit deeper than that. Like it's sort of an unfair, I don't know. It's an unfair. It's an unfair song about not being loved. It makes me think of like he wrote the song as some grand gesture, which puts the person in question in an awkward and like not cool situation. Mm-hmm. But also, it could just be like a thankful thing for the time that you have with somebody. And even more thankful that when you're not an actual item, you can still have the person in your life. 
Yeah, that's a good way so of putting I, there's, it. I don't know. There's 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 different facets to it, but like, so like the third verse is is like my favorite by far. And and he says, if I could make the world as pure and strange as what I see, I'd put you in the mirror I put in front of me. Dude, it's got some like Julia Styles from Ten Things I Hate About You vibe to it. <laughs> Loved it. Do you remember that part? <laughs> I don't remember that part. Oh my no. god! Have you seen Ten Things I Hate About You? Of course I've seen it. I just don't Dude, remember I that part. I fucking love that movie. It's so fantastic. But Julia Stiles, when she's talking about Heath Ledger, she reads this poem in front of class. Oh my god, dude! It'll, I swear to God, it'll bring you to tears. I fucking swear to you, it will. It's <laughs> so damn good. But it's got that kind of like vibe to it. And and mm-hmm. here, I, I think he's say, I, I think he's saying by making the world pure, you're going to make it strange. Because people's wants and desires are are like they're absurd. They're weird because we're we're conditioned to conform and be boring. So mm-hmm. by making the world pure, he'll be saving everyone from a life of monotony. And in doing so, he'll be getting his girl. And I think it's a it's a cool and it's a cool, impactful line that's almost like a throwaway line, but is so damn deep. One of the deepest on this album. I love yeah, it. I would say so. Now that you put it kind of in this context, yeah. Love it. I would say so. And from what I was reading too, this is kind of about his his first real girlfriend. I guess her name was Shelly Shelly uh Shelly Albin. And he was just so infatuated with her, but she never kinda she never felt the same way and he, he constantly tried to get her back, but it just never worked and I think maybe this is like his love. She song got to married. Her. Yeah, but I mean what does that stop some people, you know? Yeah, but that's yeah, no, it's 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 endearing and weird at the same time, but I, 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 but the fact that she had like hazel eyes—that was the big thing. She had a hazel eyes, and this is pale blue eyes. Yeah. So the fact that he he changed like the name of it a little bit to to make it not about her, I think says something to where it's not like creepy, because that, that's not fair. You can't put somebody in a position like they. She married somebody. You have to mm-hmm. assume that she's happy with the person she's with. You can't release a song about how much you love somebody that's that's i don't know that's that's putting that person in a, in a very uncomfortable situation and that's it not is. cool yeah and i think I he changed it that. and i think that was a, i was a good a good gesture on his end but i already changed, changed it to, to fit more with the melody exactly that's why i think he changed it was because blue eyes is pale hazel eyes doesn't flow as well it doesn't flow <laughs> but but <laughs> but i do think changing it was it was a good move i think so too yeah not to be like a direct like kind of creepy uh what is it? What's what's the word? Inc- I guess not incel. Is that the right word? The the new word that the buzzword from the last couple of years. I don't know. I don't know. It's a dick move. Yeah, it is. It really don't is. write a song about someone who's married. Like, come on, man. It's definitely weird. Definitely You're an asshole. Weird. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> so, uh, so what do you got for your four B? Some kind of love is my four B. Some kind of love. We, third song. Third track. Cowbell oh, okay. song. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, this is not a banger for me. So, you like the well, cowbell? Wait. Eh. wait, is there cowbell in it? Well, yeah, that's, I assume that's a cow. It damn well, sounds like a cowbell. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Dude, okay. This is a this is a this is a punk kid blues song. That's ex- like exactly what this is. When punk kids are forming a band and they say, "Hey, we should do a blues song," this is what this is what happens. And. I like the contrast in the guitar. It's it's quiet except when the riff. So like also, if you listen to the original version and then like the closet version, the contrast in the guitar, like this is the biggest difference. This song is the biggest difference between 
the original version and then the the Lou Reed closet version because mm-hmm. his version highlights his vocals, it highlights the guitars, but like the dueling guitars. In the original version, you're hearing a subtle, quiet guitar except when like the riff ends and then the volume's turned up for the guitar and that one part and it's really loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's yeah. a there's a lot of slides, there's a lot of bends, but it's really stripped down and sort of like dirty, a sound that was already done like countless times before. But when rock and roll like took over blues, it was never done like this again, until yeah. the Velvet Underground did it. Like blues had been around forever, not forever, the but for a long 30, time, 40 years, yeah. But when rock and roll hit, when when Elvis brought rock and roll to like the white people. Nobody made shitty blues sound like this before. And when I say shitty <laughs> blues, I mean like it's it's un it, it's untalented. It's just dirty. This is like a dirty form of of like yeah. Delta blues. And people like 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 musicians in the '60s prided themselves on bringing like blues rock to the forefront. I mean, look at fucking CCR. I love CCR, but like they perfected like the blues rock and none of their stuff, even though on the surface was dirty sounding because it was like a bayou sounding. It wasn't actually dirty. True. They yeah, weren't but they weren't it, they weren't like like melting their slides and bends together to where it sounded like it was a kid playing the guitar. This but is But it was so but the the CCR tone was so warm and with a little bit of grit. Like it sounded it sounded dirty because of that. It was it know. was grit, but it wasn't dirt. Like like true, you can have yeah, you can true. have some grit, but you're not like dirty. Like I don't know. This is like back. This is this is like backwoods of. I never even been to Alabama. I don't know why I was shitting Alabama a lot, but this is like the backwoods <laughs> of Alabama type dirty, <laughs> or Missouri. Isn't one of our listeners from Missouri? The Bloodhound Gang dude from Missouri. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The backwoods like Missouri of. of <laughs> that Missouri is not even. Missouri's I don't, I don't know where the, the fuck Missouri is, to be honest. It's, it's north. Of, it's north of of the the bottom states. It's like one state above the bottom. So it's like above Oklahoma? I think it's to the right of Oklahoma. Like when you're looking been at to, map. I've been to Oklahoma. So like if oh, that's dude, a starting me, point. I know where that's at. Let's see. Let's see. USA map. I'm looking this up right now. Do, I, do, do, do. Let me do, just type as I talk. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I what do we got asshole. here? What do we got here? So, Dude, this is a long time for you to find Missouri. Uh, Missouri. Okay. So we got... We got Louisiana. North of that is Arkansas, and then north okay. of that is Missouri. Oh, okay. So Missouri, yeah. So it goes Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, and then Minnesota, and then we get into Canada. Oh, so that, so, so Missouri is like right in the middle of the U.S. Like they're the mo- they're the Midwest of Damn. the Midwest. Not even gonna seems. like not even gonna lie, but like all of those states are besides Louisiana, all of the <laughs> states are boring as fuck. So. <laughs> Just not I'd, even. I'd go, to, I'd go to Arkansas. I would totally go to Arkansas. I uh, I have a friend that moved to Arkansas, and he moved there because it was cheap. And I asked him, like, what do you do there? He said, I had fucking nothing. There's nothing here. <laughs> <laughs> they have, they have like, no professional sports team. And they, they Like the Razorbacks, true, huh? like the college yeah. team, that's all they got. It's just, I can't imagine moving to a state where there's just no professional team because uh, unless you're going to, like like, some, like, Canada or, like, or not Canada, Kansas in that area where they're so behind their college teams, even though Kansas yeah. does have professional teams. But I can't imagine going to a state where, like the Razorbacks, <laughs> Arkansas, that's not a, like a huge college team. I don't know. But also, you, you're not like Boring. looking at Arkansas, like depending on where you're at, I guess, 
you're not too far from Dallas or Louisiana. I mean, you have to go. Oh, yeah, drive yeah. So you have to, yeah, you have to go. You have to go to another state to have fun. But but also think about it this way: like like say say you're you're in Arkansas and you want to go down to Louisiana. Like even like the coast of Louisiana, that's probably going to be like a nine hour drive. So that's like driving from here to San Francisco. Except the difference is why the fuck would you drive to San Francisco? I'm just saying. When you can just stay in like, Orange County and have a great time. Oh, well, I'm just kind of. Kind of, I don't know. I'm just. And Arkansas is not a small state. It's a fairly large state. Well, it's not. I mean, it's, it's no smaller Texas than Arizona, California, but it's still it? a fairly large state. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, it's a little bit smaller than Arizona. It's, it's a like fairly a, large state. It's in. The, it's definitely in like the middle to upper tier of large states. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking right. I'm. I'm literally, literally looking at a map right now. Like you could probably get to. Like if you're like center of Arkansas, you could probably get to Nashville. Probably within nine hours, ten hours. You should never live in a state where your only options of having fun are going to other states. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm just trying to make. Just trying to. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to do. I don't. I don't, I don't think the guy that I know who lives in Arkansas now listens to the pod, so it won't be a big deal. But he moved to Arkansas. Do I know? Uh, no, he worked for Dave and Buster's. He's having a great life. Like he bought a house for him and his mom. Like he bought two houses. Interesting. And he's having okay. like a blast and he works as a bartender and he says he works like part time and he makes way more than enough money to pay for his mortgage and like go on vacation and shit and just chick like chill on his porch and then drink beers all day. And it's a fantastic life. But when I ask him, like, what do you do for fun? He says nothing because there's nothing to do here. <laughs> <laughs> but the absence uh. of stress is fun in its in in of itself, in of itself. Yeah. True. But I mean at what point does the boredom take over? You know, it's inevitable. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, fucking, how do we get to Arkansas? I don't know. We got to Missouri. But I don't know how we got to Missouri. But some kind did. of love is is some kind of love is dope. I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> it is. It's, it's good. a good song. It's good. Should we? Uh, do you want me to play a bit of it? Uh, yeah. That's. I mean, I only got one more beat left. I guess. So, I, I will say about some kind of love. This is um. The reason this wasn't a banger because it reminded me so much of Bob Dylan, and it's just kind of like a, it's just like spoken word stuff. It's just not my thing really at all. And he kind of threw his vocal delivery wise, he kind of threw it back to the first record, second record, and not my favorite thing. But it's not nearly as obnoxious as the first two records. So here's a here's some kind of love from uh, the Velvet Underground.
French novel Combines the absurd with the vulgar And some kinds of love The possibilities are endless And for me to miss one Seem to be groundless There you go, some kind of love from the Velvet Underground. Uh what do you got lyrically on this one? Because this was this is a tough one for me. But I, I thought like this was about alcohol or drugs and like their this is the one I talked about earlier, like their ability to change the way you think or feel. This is the one where he personifies alcohol, he gives it a name. And there's this, there's like a fine line between enticing the Tom character. There's a fine line between enticing him to binge, and then mm-hmm. just letting Tom know that it's just not as bad as it it's made out to be. And I think like drugs are like we're we're told drugs and alcohol are so bad for you. They're so terrible. They'll ruin your life, but they're not that bad. They're really not. Like in moderation, if you can control it. And yeah, mm-hmm. the, the 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 problem is not controlling it, but. Like the, it's not the drug's fault, whatever. But I think that's what's kind of going on here. Like, there's a point where Margarita even builds the real Tom up. In the, in the song, there's a Tom character. Margarita builds him up, the sober Tom, as if saying, like, you don't need the alcohol because you're a good dude. Like, you're a good person. People think you're boring, but you're not boring. But just because you partake in, in the drugs and alcohol, you may think differently. I think this mm. overall is a song about using drugs and alcohol to just let loose like don't be so uptight relax okay. i could i could i i understand what you're what you're saying like i i was reading it as like you know it was the devil on your shoulder like telling you to to do more to to just you know drink more or feed more into your addiction but then that's as like as far as i could i was able to kind of pick up on lyrically like i definitely that, think like there's that aspect to it but I think the song also kind of explores that alcohol and drugs aren't aren't all bad because because they're not and like alcohol is such a part of our society it's just it's it's crazy and you can't to, get and, around it and oh. to tell kids that like alcohol is so bad for you and like the whole dare program how that blew up in oh, everybody's faces and yeah that was how dumb that was and it's just like I don't know don't dance around it like. It is fun. That's why we do it. We drink alcohol. Like fucking Jesus was drinking. Like everybody drank. We drink <laughs> yeah. because it's fun. We also saw how, saw how prohibition, you know, how that affected yeah, society. That worked so. out well. <laughs> <laughs> As I take a sip of my beer, but yes. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean that that's kind of what I got. I kind of battling with his own alcohol addiction, and I don't know. It, it, it's a it's a good song, but. I think it's one of the weaker moments of the record, for me at least. But still good. Still worthy of the vinyl buy. Damn. But, well, good luck on that vinyl buy. I do I look I, I did look it up today and the cheapest the cheapest copy goes for like forty five after shipping. <laughs> so I'm not gonna be spending forty five bucks on this one. I'm hoping for like a you know, I'll run across it randomly at a record store and like a lot or something or like a big lot of something. Dude, yeah. I got I got so fucking lucky with this one and, and subsequent Velvet Underground releases because this is a 69 like OG copy, maybe That's like even crazy. a first press. And it like in mint condition, we're talking like $400. Yeah. 
That's wild. So, that's so. Oh, that's so annoying. I know it's crazy money. Uh, it's so frustrating. Who the fuck yeah. has a mint copy of this? Like, I don't. I don't know. I just, Some I don't fucking douchebag that has been saving it for decades. It's probably like fucking eighty years he's, old. Just no, he's fucking, probably dead. Yeah, probably. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so annoying. And yeah, it'll so just sit there sealed forever because mm. nobody will want to play it. Man, this lady was selling a bunch of Grateful Dead stuff on OfferUp for like a little bit above like retail, like a little bit. So I offered her, mm-hmm. what I usually do is I usually offer 60% of what they want. Mm-hmm. And that's this is what I do. So I offered 60% and she didn't say nothing back. I could see that she read it, but she yeah. said nothing. And I was like, uh, like, are you available today? She's like, oh no, I thought you were joking with your offer. And I was just like, oh my <laughs> God, damn girl, like fuck. <laughs> but she had posted this six months ago. And oh so, my god! And I was like, yeah. you know, you're to be fair, like you're in Glendale, which is at least like a forty-five minute drive for me. These have been for sale for six months. I thought I'd offer you way less than what you're asking for, just in hopes that the, you would entertain the idea. And then she goes to me again. Fucking bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, nobody wants it for that yeah. price. Like, I don't understand that. I just don't get it. The price is good. It's the fact that she lives in Glendale, and Glendale's like like we already live in a fucking desert. Glendale is like the desert of the desert. <laughs> Even though there when you, when you, play there. When you said Glendale, I thought you meant like Glendale here in California. And I'm like, no. Oh, dude, there's no way you're going to drive. You'd probably like ask me to pick it up. But. It was been scooped up immediately. <laughs> but then I'd have to fucking drive out to Glendale here. That's like 45 minutes. That's true. Over 45 minutes. No it's difference. Far. All Glendales are far. Yeah, fuck Glendale. Fuck all yeah. the Glendales. Yes. Oi. Okay, so uh, we got anything else, or do you? What else do you have? I'm good, dude. Like I, we good? got through the bulk of what I wanted to get through. There's other stuff here, but I mean, it's fine. I don't really care too much about it. I mean, I guess we could touch upon, upon the three parter, the the Jesus, and then beginning to see the light, and then I'm set okay. free. <laughs> just just real quick, just like you know that oh, yeah. it, it's it's themed, and you know it's about him, you know, asking for help with his addiction, and then beginning to see the light is it's it's very kind of self-explanatory like beginning to see the light is him it's almost like a worship song and then then i'm set free is him kicking his heroin addiction and then just the happiness of that so it's a it's an interesting build-up and all which i couldn't i couldn't find the exact like year but i don't think that he did like i don't think that he kicked the addiction for i'm set free I don't, I know. I, maybe I, again, he did I, for a short period. Yeah, maybe just for like the writing of this song he did. But or this album a, at least, yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool concept for the three of them. Beginning yeah. to see the light and I'm set free are both not bangers for me. The only two not bangers of the album. Okay, Jesus but, is, is my, my 4B. Jesus is my 6B, I love Jesus. Okay, yeah, that, it love is a good song. Jeebus. But the other two, yeah, those those aren't bangers for me. But But Jesus is really good, but. I'm not, I'm not gonna play it. We're, we don't have to get into it. I just wanted yeah. to bring up the That's that right. that trilogy of a story. But uh, yeah, so let's give our final thoughts, and then rank the record. And we have a three point rating system where three is a perfect album, two is a good album you're gonna continue to listen to, one is a bad album but you should give it a shot, and zero is a trash fire. So uh, what do you got, Jeff, for this record? Final thoughts, ranking, go. I think like overall the Velvet Undergrounds were just a band that just never got the recognition they ever either wanted or didn't care about but everybody starts a band to at least make a living off of it like nobody wants to be a band and 
live in their van forever. This is not, that's not human behavior. And so these guys wanted to, I don't know, to at least make a living and they were shit on for a long period of the time. And so it sounds weird, but I do think like the Velvet Underground are severely underrated because on paper, again, they have just glowing marks, but the sales don't, don't reflect that. And when you talk to like people outside of big bands, like the Velvet Underground, like, oh yeah, like I listened to the Andy Warhol album and like, that's it. But like this, they like, this is their best. It's so damn different. It's so damn good. It's so unique, but it's also so vanilla. It's just, it's so damn good. Like I cannot believe how good this band is and this album. And unlike you, I do think the first album has a lot of merit to it. I do think it was doing a lot of things for music at the time. Whether or not it caught on is a different story. And uh, the Andy Warhol story wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. He wasn't as obnoxious as I thought he was going to be. I True. just don't understand art. So for that reason, I'm out. But um, no, <laughs> we're not Shark taking it over here. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But overall, <laughs> dude, overall, I had a great time with Velvet Underground. I absolutely adore this album. I love this band. I love all their albums, actually. Like, all five of their albums, like, I give at least minimum a two. So, um, yeah, dude, even, like, Squeeze, which I thought was their worst. But not even really their worst. It just wasn't, like, a Velvet Underground release. I thought Squeeze was, like, technically better than Loaded. But because it just wasn't, like, a Velvet Underground release, I had to put it down a little bit because it didn't have a lot of the Velvet Underground things that I want from it. Okay. All right. But on its own, I think it's better than, than Loaded. Um, but this album, I think, is uh, um, I think it's perfect. This is a perfect fucking album. Whoa. This, is, this is a three out of three, uh, for sure. Hands down, easy peasy. That. This, is blending, this is blending so many things of this era together in such a perfect way, uh, but then adding spice to it that no one's ever, no one's ever tasted. That, that is a lot of silly boy talk right there. It's not. Wow. It's not. It's not, but it is. It's not. <laughs> like the band oh dude we gotta do that record that's a great record oh yeah actually that's a pretty good record I, yeah, it is a really good record bad. it's not bad um wow okay so perfect three out of three that's unbelievable unfucking believable all right so my uh my final thoughts on on this record the self-titled record third record from the velvet underground i was very very pleasantly surprised upon first listen of this after listening to the uh the first two records which are just oh god but uh but this record was really really good i feel like the 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 kind of just stripped down feeling of this record the the kind of just like i don't give a fuck what i'm doing but still just like just the simplicity of it is just so charming in point at points and the fact that they all kind of had their own thing going on with Mo doing the with after hours with Doug singing his own having lead vocals Lou doing his thing and the back and forth of the 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 guitars the stereo mix which we talked about extensively which I think was the highlight of this record for me I I mean I I thought this this record was absolutely fantastic I it's so good it's there are there are no low moments there are no stinkers i love this record i i i would really like to have it on vinyl uh and with that said i'm gonna give this a solid 2.5 
mm. out of three. That's good. I, I, it's That's not good. perfect. It's not perfect, but it really, really did exceed my expectations. Oof. Really did. Oof. Very, very surprised by it. And um, yeah, so, so that's where I stand. Two point five out of three on our on our uh, award winning our award winning rating system. So yeah, do you got anything else to say about this band or this record or you good? I do not. Okay, so thank you all for listening. Go to Apple Podcasts, go rate, review, and subscribe to us on there. Follow us on social media at Asinang Radio. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode because it's going to be a weird one. I know it's going to be a weird one. So, uh, yeah, that's it. That's all. Mm-hmm. I, I listened to it and I thought, for sure, what have, what have I got myself into this week? Like, this is going to suck. Like, welcome to the suck, Tyler. Like, this is, <laughs> they pretend Didn't to be. Picasso or like Van Gogh burn his nose off or something or like his ear or some shit That's like Van that. Van Gogh, it was his ear. Cut his ear his off. mouth, burned his fucking Cut nostrils. His <laughs> <laughs> fucking dumb. Don't act like you don't know that. <laughs> don't act like you don't know that come just on just nonchalantly dude. like fucking putting everybody down because <laughs> I think it's stupid <laughs>